Well, for the last few weeks, um, we have been going through a sermon series called uh, Shepherd of My Soul, uh, Reflection on Psalm 23. And, um, you know, the, the backstory of this is this is just a, kind of a heavy time. Um, it can be a time where it feels like things feel out of control or um, like the world is breaking and burning around us and um, just felt like a moment that we needed to go to like the... Uh, the greatest hits of scripture, right? And, and spend some time sitting with that. And so Psalm 23 is certainly one of those, right? And so uh, over the last few weeks, we've been kind of systematically working our way uh, through the psalm. And uh, today we're going to be uh, finishing the last few verses of Psalm 23. And then next week, uh, we're going to be hearing from a few individuals who um, uh, committed themselves to taking Psalm 23 serious uh, this month and like really opened themselves up to it. And so they'll be um, sharing about their experience with that. So uh, I think that'll be a really uh, good and meaningful way to, to wrap up the series. Um, but like I said, for today, we're looking at the, the last two verses of Psalm 23. And so uh, as we get ready to jump into that, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. Loving God, in the midst of... Um, all that we might be feeling this morning, um, we pause and we take a deep breath. God, we're grateful um, for this chance to, to gather together, uh, both in person and online, and we're grateful that your spirit um, is here among us, uh, connecting us, uniting us. And God, uh, we, uh, as we acknowledge the presence of your Spirit, we ask that your Spirit would lead us and guide us and shape us and form us as we open up the Scriptures and wrestle with them. And ultimately, um, may we uh, leave today um, uh, um, convinced of your love for us and also uh, convinced to, to walk in the way of Jesus. Um, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do, um, do you remember how you felt when it became apparent that uh, COVID was going to become like a thing? <laughs> Do you remember how you felt maybe uh, when Stark County had its first case? Um, I can remember uh, some of those feelings pretty clearly. Um, PAX was about like three weeks old at this point and we didn't know like anything about this uh, other than like uh, it had started to spread across the globe and was kind of wreaking havoc wherever. Um, uh, we knew that it had like started to creep into the East Coast and West Coast and felt like it was quickly moving uh, in uh, into the Midwest. But outside of that, we didn't really know much. Um, we didn't know how it would affect infants. We didn't know how it would affect um, children, adults, elderly, right? We, we just knew that there was this kind of like looming threat with this virus, right? And so uh, I think it was a Wednesday morning, Allie said, hey, did you see that uh, Governor DeWine has a scheduled press conference uh, this afternoon? I said, no, but I can read the writing on the wall, and I'm guessing things are probably going to be shut down. Uh, and so um, out of a bit of anxiety, and uh, before anybody judges me, like in no parenting book have I ever read how to be, be, be a first-time parent in the midst of a pandemic. So hold off judgment there, right? Um, I, I ran to Aldi, and I stocked up. <laughs> Not on Germex, not on toilet paper, um, but like sustainable food, like uh, pasta and rice and beans and those sorts of things, because I didn't know what this would mean, right? I didn't know what shutting down would mean. I didn't know what we would be able to do. And again, not knowing what this would do to a three-week-old, like I was a bit anxious about it. 
So I can remember uh, I walked out of Aldi and it was like, I don't know, like 2.15 or something like that. And I checked my phone again because like the anxiety was a little high. And I saw in the repository, the headlines, Stark County, first case. And I sat in that parking lot and I felt kind of like my car was the only safe place. <laughs> and in that moment, it felt like COVID was like pursuing us. Or um, do you recall how you felt uh, when you heard the names Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, or countless others from the summer for the first time? Do you recall how you felt when you uh, read their stories, when you listened to their stories, and when you heard about their life? Um, I remember uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, I was um, getting ready to go to bed, and for whatever reason, I uh, decided to check Facebook, which is just a terrible idea, right? Like, that's the last thing you should do before you go to bed. But I did, and I saw a friend of mine had posted um, what was essentially like a psalm of lament. And uh, at the the end of it were two hashtags, one that said Black Lives Matter and one that said Ahmaud Arbery. And while I really just wanted to go to bed and close my laptop, (laughs) um, I had committed myself to a practice uh, a while ago of if I see those two combinations of a hashtag of Black Lives Matter and a hashtag of somebody's name, of at least Googling their name and giving their life the the honor of... um, reading a bit about the situation and as I did it and I watched the video I just I don't know I, I felt really lost um, because I, I recognize like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white person right and I um, I'm often I, I'm in the skin that often is perpetuating the system where Ahmaud Arbery's happen right and I felt lost and I, I really began to feel like, you know, racism and hatred and evil were pursuing us. And like, I'm a white person, right? Like, I can't imagine how much more um, those feelings must be heightened for our sisters and brothers of color. Um, or last one here. Uh, do, you, do you remember how you felt when you saw the first 2020 election campaign sign? I don't, actually, because it seems to me that it started like November 4th, 2016. And we've been in kind of this like endless perpetual cycle of election campaign. I'm tired of it, man. I'll be honest. Um, And it's not so much like the the campaigns, but it's like the, the, the rhetoric that's being used. And it just feels very like polarizing and very like extreme hyper partisan. And it feels like those things are like pursuing us, this like partisanship, this uh, polarization, and it's just, it's kind of overwhelming. Now, these three things, um, which I have unaffectionately termed uh, the unholy trinity, um, like, um, these things have made the headlines, and so these, like, feel like the, the weighty things that are pursuing us, because there's kind of a common thread among all of us that these three things feel like they're pursuing us, but I would assume that if all of us had the opportunity to come up here and acknowledge some of the things that we feel are pursuing us individually, we'd have a really long list of other things as well. Um, maybe for you, that's some sort of family conflict. Uh, Maybe that involves you uh, specifically, um, or maybe it's two other uh, members, but you're part of that family, you're part of that system, and so you can't help but feel the weight of that conflict, and it feels like this this conflict is pursuing you in some way. Um, Or maybe uh, you're, you're wrestling with some sort of mental or physical health right now. And it feels like uh, wholeness is like this elusive thing, and it feels like this illness or this ailment is pursuing you. 
Uh, or maybe uh, you've been directly affected by like the economic uh, um, situation that we find ourselves in, and maybe you lost a job, or uh, we're on furlough for a while, or maybe um, money's just really, really tight, and um, it feels like the, the financial instability is pursuing us. I'm, I've been struck the last few weeks and months as I've talked with people. It, it feels like there's almost like this tangible cloud, <laughs> like this, this weightiness on this moment that we find ourselves in. And it feels like there's all sorts of things that are pursuing and they are all around us. And to make it worse, these things that, that, that feel like they're pursuing us, it feels like they're pursuing us with like destructive and divisive intentions. Like they're wanting to see us fall. They're wanting to separate us and pin us against one another. And we've come to this moment where it's just exhausting, right? Um, now, one of the things that I really appreciate um, about scripture is that on one hand, it's like this incredibly sacred book, right? Um, but on the other hand, it's also like an incredibly human book filled with all sorts of like human experiences and human emotions. Um, and no, no better place do we see these sort of human experiences and emotions than in the book of Psalms. And scattered throughout the book of Psalms, we have these Psalms where like the psalmist is speaking of some sort of pursuit. And I don't know if this is like any sort of technical term, but like they feel like uh, Psalms of pursuit in some way, right? So we see examples of this in like Psalm 17. So the psalmist writes, guard me as the apple of, of the eye, hide me in the wing, in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They track me down and now they surround me. They set their eyes to cast me to the ground. They are like a lion eager to tear, like a young lion lurking in ambush. Or uh, we see another example from uh, Psalm 56. Uh, the psalmist begins, Be gracious to me, O God, for people trample on me all day long. My foes oppress me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many fight against me. Or maybe most evidently, we see this in Psalm 143. The psalmist writes, For the enemy has pursued me, crushing my life to the ground, making me sit in darkness like the long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I don't know about you, but I, I read those and I'm like, yeah, that, that kind of sums up the last six months. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm feeling at like a, a soul level. And there's kind of a consistent theme throughout these psalms. And it's that um, there's someone or something, namely an enemy or a foe, that seems to be pursuing the psalmist. And this enemy or this foe is pursuing the psalmist with destructive and divisive intentions, wanting to see them fall, wanting to divide them from their community, the people that have their back, and they're wanting to see the, the psalmist fail in some epic way. But thankfully, this isn't the only example that we have in the psalms. Because as we'll see in just a moment, Psalm 23 seems to speak in a, a rather subversive way to the rest of these uh, psalms of pursuit. So Psalm 23 begins with the, the, um, uh, the memorable line, The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh, the creator God who holds and sustains all things. The bigness of who Yahweh is is brought into the smallness of this moment. Yahweh is my shepherd, the one to protect and to provide for me. Um, uh, 
and then we, we move into the scenery of the, the darkest valley and this acknowledgement to God that you are with me, this uh, acknowledgement of divine empathy that God enters into the dark places with us. And rather than feeling disconnection, we feel this connection with God. And then we move into the, the final verses of Psalm 23. And the psalmist writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now notice um, that there's a, a shift in the metaphor here as we get into, psalm, or into verse 5. While the psalm begins as this, um, with this metaphor of the Lord is my shepherd, it shifts um, from God solely being a shepherd to now God is being a host. A host that prepares a table for the psalmist. And think about um, the, the role of a, a host. Um, it seems as though the, the host is given this task of creating and preparing like a hospitable environment. Um, an environment that is uh, warm and inviting, like a place that you want to be. Um, it's an environment that's filling because there's nothing worse than like leaving a party and having to stop at Taco Bell to get filled up, right? Um, but also like given this task of, of creating and preparing a safe and secure environment. A place where people feel comfortable to step into, like they can let their guard down, that they can just simply be themselves. And it seems as though the psalmist, given all that's happening around him, these, all of these feelings of feeling out of control, feeling like the world is breaking and burning all around him, he acknowledges that this is what God does. That God prepares a table before him, that God is creating a warm and inviting uh, environment for him, that God is creating a, a filling environment, providing for his needs, that God is creating a safe and secure environment. And despite that, all that's happening, the psalmist can sit down and catch a breath. But it's interesting that this table that God prepares doesn't happen in like a vacuum, right? It doesn't happen in some like otherworldly heavenly space, but rather the table, we're told, is in the presence of of the psalmist's enemies. Meaning, like, the people that have made uh, him feel like life is out of control, the people that have uh, made him feel like the world is breaking and burning, like, these people are all around him as he takes his seat at the table. And even further than that, um, God, as the host, walks up to uh, the psalmist here and anoints his head with oil, which is like an old way of, like, uh, bestowing honor upon somebody. And then we're told that God as host uh, uh, overflows the psalmist's cup. Doesn't just give him an adequate amount, doesn't just fill it to the brim, but like uh, uh, irresponsibly and recklessly provides for the psalmist in this moment. I think this is in some way like a, a, um, an image of like redemptive honoring, right? That uh, the, the foes, the enemies are all around the psalmist. And they're like rooting for the psalmist's downfall. But instead what they're seeing is the delight of the psalmist. Because the psalmist here has the bigness of who God is stepping into the smallness of this moment to provide uh, a warm and inviting, comfortable, uh, safe and secure space for the psalmist. Like this is the end of every good movie, right? <laughs> we have the, the protagonist, the hero who uh, is... Um, uh, who wins in some way, right, uh, is justified in the end. And if it's a really, really good movie, the bad guys, the, the antagonists, are standing there watching, like, at the window, like, as the rain's falling on them, right? And they're just, like, longing to be in that position. 
See, I think this, uh, this uh, scene of God being the host preparing a table um, reminds us that oftentimes that there's a reality beyond our reality. Um, like there's a, a big R reality beyond our small R reality. And that's not to say like our small R reality, the thing that we're dealing with right in front of us doesn't matter or that it, it isn't painful or difficult, but it acknowledges that there's a, a bigger perspective, that there's something more expansive maybe even more true that's happening beyond just what we're facing. And it seems as though in the presence of uh, his enemy, the psalmist is experiencing this as God is entering into this moment as his host. Now the the psalm concludes here by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And this kind of seems like a bit of a fairy tale ending, right? Like uh, the psalmist is maybe skipping along a path filled with daisies and you have these two little fairy, te- fairy tale fuzzy creatures like an Ewok named Goodness and Mercy like holding hand in hand skipping after him into the sunset, right? It can kind of feel like the, um, the psalmist is like easing up on the pedal, right? Like kind of coasting off into the, to the sunset. The only problem is, um, as commentators note, This isn't what the psalmist is trying to communicate here. (laughs) See, we have this word follows, um, which gives kind of a passive sort of approach. Again, like these two fuzzy fairy tale creatures, like just kind of looming in the background of goodness and mercy for the psalmist. But rather than like easing up off the pedal, uh, the psalmist like actually pushes pedal to the the metal and like is uh, speeding to the finish here and rather than the word being translated as follows commentators have noted it's probably better translated as pursues meaning that the the psalmist here at the end doesn't just say like oh it follows me but it says surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life it's not something that will just happen, but it's something that is actively out to get me in a good way. Goodness and mercy want to wrap their arms around me and give me all of the benefit that goodness and mercy have. And it's at this point that it's helpful to remember the rest of these psalms of pursuit. Because scattered throughout the book of Psalms, we have these psalms where there is some sort of enemy or foe that's pursuing the psalmist with destructive and divisive intentions. But in Psalm 23, we see something very, very different, something very subversive even. That there's something pursuing, but the thing that's pursuing is God. And the thing that God is pursuing with is not destructive and divisive intentions, but rather God is pursuing with goodness and mercy. While other Psalms uh, speak of an enemy or foe uh, pursuing with destructive, divisive intentions, with an intent to harm or even kill, Psalm 23 speaks of a God who pursues with goodness and mercy, with intention to bring about healing and wholeness from all that's feeling out of control and all that feels like it's breaking and burning all around him. Now, uh, I'm about to say something that is like one of the more cliche things that a a pastor slash new parent can say. So bear with me here, okay? Being a parent has helped me to understand the love of God in a way I never thought I could. If you want to groan, this is the time, okay? Now, uh, oftentimes when this is said, I think it's meant in sort of like an abstract, like a capacity to love, almost like the Grinch's heart growing three times its size, right? And I don't really mean that. I mean it like in a rather contextual way. Um, Because uh, as you interact with Pax, you see him 
for what he is at 95% of the time, like this wonderful, dare I say perfect child, but I may be biased, right? But there's these 5% times where um, it seems as though he's feeling a bit out of control, <laughs> where it feels like things are breaking and burning all around him. And that's typically he's hungry or tired or needs a diaper change, right? And in those moments, um, he can get a little fussy, uh, he can get real squirrely, and he can like um, actively be like counterproductive to what I'm trying to do to bring about the solution to the problem, right? But what do I do in those moments when, when Pax is like actively fighting me off? <laughs> I continue to pursue him, right? I continue to pursue him with goodness and mercy, even if it's at 3 a.m. I continue to pursue him with like a goal of bringing about healing and wholeness to whatever ailment he's facing. And as I think about that, I can't help but think if, if that's my sort of parental pursuit, despite all of my flaws and my failures, how much greater is God's divine parental pursuit of us? And recognize like this isn't just like in the moments where like we're open and cooperative and say like God come and bring something good into my life. But, like this is the moments like Pax where like he's actively like being counterproductive to what I'm trying to do. And in these moments where we might fight God who's wanting to bring healing and wholeness and goodness and mercy in our life, God continues with this active parental pursuit trying to consume us with this goodness and mercy to bring about healing and wholeness for whatever challenge we might face. Um, now, I think the, the, the beauty of the, the image that we're left here at the end of Psalm 23 is that while all sorts of things um, pursue with destructive and divisive intentions, um, God pursues us with goodness and mercy. As we look around us, there may be all sorts of things that are pursuing us, and it feels like they have destructive and divisive intentions. We recognize that um, at the same time, God is pursuing us with goodness and mercy. And I think we um, see this all the more clearly in the life of Jesus. Um, there's a moment in the Gospel of John where uh, Jesus is quoted as saying, I am the good shepherd drawing on this like rich lineage in the, the Old Testament of, of God being compared to a shepherd, again, which we see in Psalm 23. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says that he um, is a good shepherd, and when a wolf pursues, when the, the things that make us feel like we're out of control, when the things that feel like our world is breaking and burning all around us are pursuing us, Jesus says he lays down his life for us. Like Jesus steps in front of these things to um, absorb these things so that we don't. And if we know the story of Jesus, we know that this uh, comes to a moment of his death. But if we know the story of Jesus well too, we know that this comes to this moment of resurrection. And one of the ways of understanding the resurrection is that um, in the moment of Jesus um, coming to new life again, we can understand this as Jesus overcoming the wolf that pursues 
We can understand this as Jesus overcoming the things that make us feel out of control, making us feel like the world is breaking and burning all around us. Or as the New Testament uses this language, uh, we can understand this as Jesus overcoming the powers of sin and death and darkness. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus then turns and invites us into this same sort of life. A life where we can experience the small little resurrections, overcoming the things that make us feel out of control, like the world is breaking and burning all around us in our day-to-day life, but also like this big grand resurrection where one day we too will overcome the powers of sin and death and darkness and enter into new creation once and for all with God. Now, this feels like goodness and mercy, does it not? This feels like this grand pursuit of God to um, consume us, to grab hold of us, and to pour out goodness and mercy in our life, despite all that might be going on around us. Um, So, uh, I want to to do one last thing for us this morning, and um, my hope is that this can help us to to remember... um, Uh, This idea that um, while all sorts of things pursue with destructive and divisive intentions, uh, but God pursues with goodness and mercy. But more than just remember, I I, I want it um, to be a practice that can help shape us and form us in this. Um, So it's a, a final breath prayer for us. And the breath prayer is this. God is pursuing me with goodness and mercy. God is pursuing me with goodness and mercy. Now, this is a bit longer, so it may be a little awkward, right? You might have to breathe in part of it and then breathe out part of it, which I can't physically do. Um, so I have to experiment with that one. Um, but this idea that God is pursuing me with goodness and mercy. I think this breath prayer in particular is helpful when we have the snowball effect. Um, uh, that, that moment where something bad happens and then a second bad thing happens, but it's like bigger than the first thing. And then a third bad thing happens, but it's bigger than the second and the first thing combined, you know? And in these moments where it feels like all of these things are pursuing us with destructive and divisive intentions, it's a moment for us to stop and remind ourselves that that may be true, but God is also pursuing us with goodness and mercy. It helps us get this glimpse of a, the big R reality beyond our small R reality. Um, and can help give us a, a, a bit of a perspective on, on God's um, relentless pursuit of us. A final note on uh, breath prayers here, um, because I know that this may be new for some of us. First off, if this feels like a strange, like, foreign sort of practice, um, this comes from, like, the 6th century uh, within, like, a Christian tradition. Like, this is well within the, the Christian practice. Um, and uh, if you're like me, you hear of a, a spiritual practice and you're like, okay, I need to figure out how to cram all of these into my life and it can feel a little overwhelming. Um, first off, don't feel like you have to use all three. Uh, second off, don't feel like you have to use any of them. I won't have a test in a month, right? Um, but rather, my, my hope is that these can be like a, a tool in our spiritual tool belt. <laughs> Meaning like, um, as we find moments in life where we need these, that we have them readily available, Right? Um, so maybe there's a moment where our, our soul is feeling insecure and we can pull out the tool that says my, my soul is secure with my shepherd. Um, or we find ourselves in a really dark place of feeling disconnected and we can pull out the tool that says you are with me. Or we find ourselves in a moment with a snowball effect and we can pull out the tool of God is pursuing me with goodness and mercy. My goal is that these can just be a tool for us in a, a time when we need them. So friends, um, it's a strange time. 
It feels like things are pursuing us with destructive and divisive intentions. But know that in the midst of that, God is um, preparing a table before us, often with the things that are pursuing us, looking on, longingly, wishing that um, they could have that same sort of delight. Um, And while all of these things may be pursuing, know um, that in the midst of that and even greater than that, that God is pursuing us with goodness and mercy as well. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that you are a good divine parent and that you pursue us relentlessly. You want to provide for us irresponsibly and recklessly, overflowing our cups. And God, that even in the midst of our enemies, you are providing a safe and hospitable environment for us. God, help us to remember um, when the snowball is building, when it feels like more and more things are coming after us, pursuing us. Help us to remember that you too are pursuing us, but that you're pursuing us with goodness and mercy, longing, desiring to see healing and wholeness in our life. And help us to cling to that and to trust that. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.